You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. They think it's strange you don't plunge with them in the same flood of dissipation. You don't hang out. They don't. Hang, you don't hang out with them anymore, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who was ready to judge the living and the dead. You, you got serious about it. You stopped just playing church and playing Christianity, and you put your life on the line. And that's what Jesus said. You want to be my disciple? Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Suffering is the only path to maturity. So does that sound like your story? When you met Jesus, did he turn your whole world upside down? And did your old crowd just not understand the change in you? If deciding to follow Christ didn't make a huge difference in your life, then it might be time to reevaluate how well you're following. Are you picking up your cross daily to follow him? Or are you a casual observer? Pastor Danny says today that the road to maturity is marked with suffering. It's your time. Pick up your cross and follow him. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Hebrews chapter 3 with today's edition of The Living Word. Hebrews chapter 2. Chapter 1, the writer cites seven Old Testament passages proving that Jesus Christ is greater than the angels. He did that because Christ, the sole mediator of the new covenant, has to be greater than the angels because it was angels that mediated the old covenant received by Moses, the covenant of law. Then chapter 2, we got into some of the reasons the new covenant is better than the old covenant. Uh, For example, Christ's sacrifice secured what man lost in the Garden of Eden when he fell into sin. And that was the dominion that God intended for him. That dominion will be restored and has been regained for us through Christ. And one day we will rule and reign with him for a thousand years and then for eternity. Not only that, Christ's sacrifice guarantees our resurrection. That's why the Christian should not fear death. There's nothing to fear. Third, because Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh in a human body, his sacrifice as a human being was sufficient to pay the price for our sin. A human being had to die for human beings. And his blood was the only blood that could be shed because it wasn't tainted by sin. And then fourth, and this is where we talked a lot about last week or began to the last part of chapter 2, Verse 17, for this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. I like that. I like that. Now, how does he help us? Well, we began that last week, and 
Uh, I expected to spend more time on these first couple of points, but that's not the way the Lord led. But let me just go back again where we kind of laid the ending last week for the beginning of this week. How does he help us? He helps us because he sympathizes with us. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, not arrogance, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When do you need that? Grace and mercy. When you fail. When you fail. And Jesus, even though he never failed, and we mentioned it last week, He knows what we're going through. He knows it more than we do because he never sinned. He never gave in to temptation. We know what it is to give in to temptation. He knows what it is to face every temptation to the ultimate degree and never give in to it. As a matter of fact, he died not giving in to temptation. Okay? So he knows it in a way we don't know it. And because he does, he sympathizes with us. I know what you're going through. Even though I never gave in, I know even more than you because I never gave in. And he sympathizes. Second, I like the second one. He provides grace and mercy. We just read it, chapter 4, grace and mercy when we fail. I am so thankful that when I fail, he doesn't just slap me upside the head and say, that's enough with you. I can come before his throne and find grace, grace is getting what I don't deserve and find mercy, and that's not getting what I do deserve. So not only do I not get what I do deserve, I get what I don't deserve. Amazing. Amazing. Foolish thing, and yet it's our tendency is when we fail as Christians to run from God, to hide our sin. But that's our tendency. But what we need to do immediately after the failure is run to him. Run to him. Because there's grace and mercy waiting. So he sympathizes with us. He provides grace and mercy when we fail. Just ask King David. By the way, you can fail at any point along the way. You can fail the same day you gave your life to Christ. You can fail the first week of your Christian life. You can fail the second year. You can fail the 40th year after walking with the Lord for 40 years. David was an older saint when he walked out on his balcony that night and he saw Bathsheba bathing. And a seasoned saint fell into terrible sin. And that sin led to more sin. And what an, what an awful thing. And yet he writes Psalm 51. And in Psalm 51, he says, Lord, blot out my transgression. And that's exactly what God did. Cleanse me with hyssop. And that's what God did. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. And that's what God did. But David kept it hidden, tried to cover it up. And finally, Nathan the prophet pointed in his face and said, you're the man, you're the one that needs to come clean. And David did. And when he did, there was grace and mercy. David should have been stoned under the law. He should have died. But there was grace and mercy. Now, the third way he helps us, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time today. He sympathizes with us. He provides grace and mercy when we fail. And listen, he provides everything we need to live in victory. That's important because some people focus on the second way he helps us, the grace and the mercy. I've heard people actually say, what a foolish thing to say, but some people say, maybe you do it innocently. Well, don't do it after today. They say, I know it's wrong, but he'll forgive me. 
I know it's wrong, but he'll forgive me. And they presume upon his grace and look to take advantage of his mercy. Listen, if that's your attitude in life and you say, I know it's wrong, but you do it anyway, you really ought to examine your heart. Do you really know him? Because those who really know him, you want to please him. All he's done for us and we don't want to please him. But some people, I know it's wrong, but he'll forgive me. No, 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 listen. There is grace, there is mercy when we fail. Thank God for that. But he wants us to move beyond failure. He really has provided everything we need for life and godliness. We can live in victory. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has taken you but such as common to man. And God will, with the temptation, make a way of escape. Now, that is mysterious because I know I won't be sinless until I see him and get a new body where sin doesn't dwell in its members. However, that verse promises me that I can live in victory. And so can you. Now, let's talk about this in detail. He provides everything we need. What has he given us? Now, there's a lot of angles to this. You could, you could, I almost went to the warfare and Ephesians and the armor that he's provided for us, but that's, that's for another time. Here's how he's provided for us. First and foremost, Hebrews chapter 3. Look at it with me. Verses and chapter headings in the Bible were put there by man to help us locate things, but sometimes they do us a disservice because last week, the last verse we read, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now look at the first word in chapter 3. Therefore, based on what we just heard, therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confessed. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, old covenant, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house. If we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. The hope of which we boast is one day we're going to be with him. One day we're going to be like him in every way in the sense that we'll have bodies where sin doesn't dwell and we won't have to struggle with temptation and sin anymore. I can't wait for that day. And courage. Why do we need courage? Because the Christian life is a life of self-denial, of daily taking a cross, and suffering. That's what it's about. Jesus said, you want to be my disciple? You can't be my disciple unless you deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Now, here's the deal. Here's what he's done for us. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. That's what the Bible says. He's the author and the perfecter. That word author in the Greek is used in several different ways. And one of the main ways it's used, it speaks of, and it means someone who's blazed a trail, blazed a trail. He's the author. He's blazed the trail. And he says, now, here's the way. See, Christ doesn't say, there's the way, you go do it. No, he's already gone. And he says, I have gone ahead of you and I have laid you an example. And if you will follow me, you will live in victory. In the world, you'll have trouble. Don't worry. I've overcome the world, and you can overcome if you'll follow me. 
Now, the particulars of that example, he showed us how to suffer, and he was willing to suffer. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect, that's mature, not sinless, he's always been sinless, perfect, mature, through suffering. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. But he wasn't rescued. He didn't bypass the cross. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, mature, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. He is to be our focus. He's our example. And he says, fix your thoughts on me. Fix your thoughts on me. And if you'll fix your thoughts on me and you follow me, I'll show you the way to victory. And the first thing we have to come to terms with, we have to be willing to suffer. Leave Hebrews for just a minute. Go with me to Matthew's gospel. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, you have the place. Look at verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Let me just throw in here, James tells us that God doesn't tempt people with evil. It's the devil that tempts. Here's what God does. He tests. He tests. James starts out and he says, hey, don't be bent out of shape. Don't get all, that's a loose paraphrase, about the trials that you're facing. Because these trials produce perseverance, and perseverance must do its work so that you might become mature and complete, not lacking anything. So as mysterious as it is, Jesus led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil but tested by the Heavenly Father. Okay? Verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That is the biggest understatement, I think, in all the Bible. (laughs) One of them anyway. I don't fast for long periods of time usually. I try to fast regularly just as a discipline. Uh, You know, I just try to skip meals and sometimes go a a day, you know. And and occasionally, you know, I've done through several days of fasting. And um, the few times I've fasted for several days, uh, I have experienced on just a few number of occasions what it is for the hunger pains to disappear. And if you fast enough days, you will get to the point that it's, it's not hard anymore. It's hard to get there. <laughs> but once you're there, the hunger pains go away. But medically, when you fasted as long as Jesus did, 40 days and 40 nights, they tell us that the hunger pains come back and with the kind of intensity you can't even imagine. It's excruciating. Because at this point, Jesus' digestive tract is beginning to digest live tissue from his own body for energy. In other words, the body's beginning to eat itself. And you've got hunger pains that you and I will never experience. I mean, he is so hungry at this point, and it's excruciating. And it's at this point, the devil comes. Verse 3, the tempter came to him and he said, If you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And it would have been nothing for Jesus to say, Stone, be bread, and the stones would become bread. And he could have satisfied his excruciating hunger. What does he do? Jesus answered, verse 4, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. There's my hero. There's my hero. Whoa, what a Savior. 
Oh, what a man. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. Now Satan uses the word of God to tempt Jesus. He'll command his angels concerning you, and they'll lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. What's this appealing to? It's appeal to his pride. Hey, do something glorious, you know? Call attention to yourself because, hey, you the man. And Jesus answered him. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. We learned last week Satan had the right to give him the kingdoms of the world because he is now the prince of this world. We forfeited our right of dominion. Jesus gained it back, even though we won't experience it until his second coming. So Satan could have given him the world. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Hip, hip, array for my Savior, Jesus Christ. Man. Now, I believe that this wasn't the total temptation in the wilderness. It lasted longer because he fasted for 40 days, all right? But we have three recorded for us. Why just these three? Because every temptation falls under one of these categories. Every sin falls under one of these categories. Uh, The first, the hunger, that's your physical appetite, your appetite to satisfy some physical desire, some physical hunger. It's called the lust of the flesh. The second is an appeal to your person, your pride. You the man. Go ahead. Gain some glory. The third is called the lust of the eyes. It's looking and seeing, oh, if I just could live there, if I could just could have that, <laughs> that's what I'm looking for. It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And every single temptation falls under one of those categories. Now, different circumstances, God, uh, Satan uses different people and all different scenarios, but every single temptation is under one of those categories appealing to my pride, appealing to the lust of my eyes, or appealing to the lust of my flesh. Jesus was victorious over all those three. And he shows me the way, shows me the way, shows me the way to victory. What's the way? I have to be willing. I have to be willing to suffer. That's the only path because he's our example. He's the author and perfecter. And he says, now, you want to be my disciple? Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily, daily, and follow me. Follow me. Boy, there's so many on this. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's one day when we'll be changed. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Did you hear how practical that is? Did you hear that? In other words, if I persevere, say no, and willing to suffer, I grow in character 
I mature. And because I mature, I realize I really can, if I follow Jesus, live in victory in this cursed world. I really can. Peter learned this. 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. And as you're finding it, listen carefully. In my devotional reading yesterday morning in the New Testament, I was in Matthew's gospel, chapter 26, and Jesus has told his disciples uh, they will all fall away, and they all say, no, we won't. Peter says, Lord, they might, but I never will. I'll die with you. And then Jesus says to Peter, Peter, this very night, before the cock crows, you'll three times, three times you'll deny that you even know me. And Peter again said emphatically, never happened, Lord. I will die with you. And, of course, we know uh, Jesus arrested. They all scatter. Jesus standing before the Supreme Court. Peter's looking from a distance, warming himself at the fire. Somebody sees him and says, hey, you're one of his disciples. He said, not me. You've got the wrong guy. A little while later, another servant girl sees him and says, oh, you're one of them. I can tell by the way you talk, your accent. You're one of his followers. Not me. And he curses. Third time, he begins calling down curses upon himself. I mean, he's he got the, the mouth of a sailor now, <laughs> trying to prove he's not a follower of Jesus Christ. And then the cock crows. One gospel writer tells us when the cock crows, Jesus turned and looked. And eyeball to eyeball, Peter looked at his Savior. You know what it says after that? He went out and he wept bitterly, tears of repentance. He realized how he had failed. After just hours before saying, no, even if all these guys fail, I never will. I'll die with you. And he failed. Thank God for grace and mercy. And that's what Jesus showed him there after the resurrection on that beach. And remember, Jesus said, hey, Peter, when you were young, you dressed where you, where you wanted to dress. You went where you wanted to go. Peter, when you're old, they're going to lead you where you don't want to go and dress you in a way you don't want to be dressed. He told him how he's going to die. He's going to be crucified like his Lord. And then Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. Peter learned his lesson. He learned his lesson. And he writes about it right here. He became a different man. First Peter chapter 4, listen to what Peter says. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Wow. What's he talking about? He's not talking about sinless perfection. He's talking about maturity. He's talking about once you, once you put your body on the altar and once you start, stop playing around this Christianity stuff and once you get serious about it, that's when you'll begin to live in victory. That's when you'll begin to have victory. You won't be up and down and failing and saying, I'll never do it again. You go do it again. And you're back at church, but you're not really mature and you're not going to be mature because you haven't really laid your life on the line. You haven't really put your body on the altar. God, you take my hands, you take my feet, you take my mouth, you take my life. Peter learned. And he says, he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. That's the focus of your life now. For you spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, loose living, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. They think it's strange you don't plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. You don't hang out, they don't hang, you don't hang out with them anymore. And they heap abuse on you, but they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. You, you got serious about it. You stopped just playing church and playing Christianity and you put your life on the line. And that's what Jesus said. You want to be my disciple? Deny yourself. 
Take up your cross daily and follow me. Suffering is the only path to maturity. You've been listening to another edition of The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. The Living Word is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Petersburg, Florida. We're so glad that you took the time today to learn more from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews references many Old Testament practices, and it's likely that this book was written to a group of Jewish Christian people. The writer talks about the priestly order and then connects how Jesus has become the great high priest for all. It's such a neat way that God ties the Old Testament in with the new. For those who are aware of the Jewish practices, it makes more and more sense as to why and how Jesus fulfilled these Old Testament things. Are you seeing those connections that the writer of Hebrews has made? If you enjoyed hearing from Pastor Danny today and would like to listen to other teachings, feel free to visit our sermon archive at ccfstpete.church. That website again is ccfstpete.church. If you don't yet have a church to call home, we would love to have you join us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We meet each Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. Feel free to come just as you are. Well, that's all that we have for today. But thanks for tuning in with Pastor Danny to hear more great things from the book of Hebrews. And we trust that you'll continue to learn from the living word.